Well, November 2018 saw the sad passing of one of our greatest musicians and composers, Michal O'Sullivan, a man who made an extraordinary contribution to traditional Irish music. This September, the National Symphony Orchestra, in collaboration with his family and the University of Limerick, will pay special tribute to Michal's work in what will be the first full concert of his music since his passing. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Michal's widow, Professor Helen Phelan. Morning, Helen. Good morning, Miriam. Thanks so much for being here and coming up from Limerick for us this morning. Listen, we're going to chat, but first, let's just listen to one of Michal's best loved pieces. This is Woodbrook. Simply sublime, um, so beautiful. And before his death, actually, Michal played Woodbrook for us live on the show and in the studio. And actually, he explained to me then why that piece for him needed no practice and no rehearsal. Well, that one is it's kind of in my fingers, you know. I sometimes tell my students that when you're playing music, you have 11 brains, five in the left hand, five in the right hand, and one in your head. And you don't actually play music with your head at all, not unless you're like Jerry Lee Lewis or something like that. (laughs) So, in fact, your muscle memory is holding the the notes in a way. And I think that's why you can play with your eyes closed, you know. So there's as much touch uh, and hand shape in it as there is the use of the ear. That's what I find. So there are certain pieces, Woodbrook is one of them, the pieces that I would have written, and the word written is the wrong word in a way, that would have made up, constructed at the keyboard itself without any use of any notation or music writing or anything, they go into your neurosystem in a very, very different way. They go actually in directly through touch, through your body and through your hands. And once you get them in there, even if you try to forget them, <laughs> you can't. You know, it's like saying, I'm going to forget how to walk. Woodbrook is one of those pieces, so it doesn't faze me. Uh, this is a lovely piano, actually, um, and I like it, and that helps as well. Michal O'Sullivan there speaking to me a few years back after he played Woodbrook Live for us, and I am joined here in studio by his wife, Professor Helen Phelan. I was watching there, listening to him. It's, he's, he was such a wonderful man. Is it difficult listening to him or uplifting yeah, that's the <laughs> that's the piece I wasn't expecting. You know, the um, hearing his voice, hearing his fingers there on the on the piano, um, coming in here this morning, the first time I've been ever been here without him, um, feeling him everywhere here, and um, just drawing a bit of comfort there from from that as well. Yeah, it's such a beautiful piece of music. Where did you, was it Glenstall Abbey, Helen? Is that where you first met Michal? Well, I, yeah, I met, I met him there in, in 19, 1994, of course. That was the year that he um, started, uh, took up his appointment as chair of music at the University of Limerick. And that summer, 
I actually came to visit Glenstall with my sister and I was just walking up the avenue there and this car pulled up behind me and it was Michal. Now, of course, I had known him because I had studied music in Cork in UCC, but but I had known him more at a distance. I was a classical piano player. You know, I wasn't one of the 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 growing number of traditional music students in his orbit. This was this was the late 80s, around the time of the Dolphins Way album. Mm. And, you know, but of course, like everyone, I was aware of the excitement and energy building around him. So when I met him those years later in Glenstall, he's started telling me about Limerick and he said to me, you know, something I heard him say to people many times over the years, you've got to come in and see it. So I did. And I, at that time, I had actually just finished a master's in like creative alternative approaches to education. So I was, I probably had a heightened awareness of just how challenging it is to make any kind of creative change in the machinery of higher education. And, and I always remember going in listening to this plan unfold and thinking, my God, I think he could do this. And, you know, it, it, it wasn't just the, the energy and the charisma and the creativity, but it was something about the sense of a sustained commitment to the long game. And like I, I couldn't have known then that that would be the beginning of, of over two decades or more than two decades of, of working with him to realise that vision and in the development of what would become the Irish World Academy. Of course, which he ran brilliantly in Limerick and which you have now taken over as director. You've just heard that, haven't you? It's a... Congratulations. It's a, it's a, thanks, thanks, Miriam. It's a strange... Um, Full circle, a strange sense of a of of a of a cycle, and I I had to do a lot of soul searching um, before going for that appointment to be sure that I was uh, steady and ready, and that I had something to bring to his vision now in in the times that we're that we're living in. And you know, I kept thinking about your your your, your previous guest as well was talking mm. about the University of Limerick and that extraordinary campus. And I kept thinking about, you know, the everything from Mihal and the Academy went back to the went back to the river. You know, they, when you go walk into our building, the first thing you'll see is this extraordinary mosaic of the mythology of the goddess Shuna and her search for creative wisdom. And I thought, you know, that foundational mythologies are, are, are necessarily dynamic. And maybe what I could bring to the space now was the, the kind of cross-cultural mythology of the bridge. I love that, you know, that Rilke line now beyond your own life, build the great arch of the unimagined bridges. And, you know, I think in 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 our time now, this, mm. you know, our world post covid, we know that the 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 unimaginable can and does happen. And in a way that's we across time and cultures, that's what we've always used the arts for, haven't we? You know, yeah. to help us build those bridges into the unimagined and that, you know, I think that was Michal's vision for the Academy and that's what I would hope we could we could build in this next chapter. And he was so extraordinary. He brought about such a change in traditional music, as you said, bring it into the confines of third level. Remind people, though, Helen, a little of his own background. I mean, did he come from a very musical household? 
And he would have always said that, you know, he, he came from more kind of um, intuitive musical parents rather than, than, than parents who were explicitly musical. But, you know, like a lot of people, his, his, his mother sent himself and his brother John for piano lessons. And they, you know, his, his piano teacher in Clonmel, Mrs. Morris, brought him through the, the classical music grades. But of course, she was also a Kaylee Vamper. And, you know, he started playing playing the, the, the violin and she would bring him through like um, collections of dance tunes. So he started getting a, a, a nudge into traditional music. And then, of course, as a teenager, like many teenagers in the 60s, through, you know, through the radio and through vinyl, he, he you know, became interested in popular music, went out and bought an electric guitar and an amplifier and with his friends started a, a group, the, the Sea Cliffs. Which was which was the first place he then he started writing his own songs. That idea that you could create your own music started there in popular music. And then quite accidentally, I think he was probably in fifth year, he discovered you could actually study music um, as a Leaving Cert subject. Because, of course, going to an all-boys Christian Brothers school, there wasn't music in his school. But he he, he sought out um, a music teacher, Sister Ita, a presentation sister, who brought him through the, the, the Leaving Cert. And, and I, always, I always remember, and I find myself telling this story again now, him telling a story about Sister Ita would bring him um, records of classical music. And she introduced him to a recording of the Brandenburg Concertos, which blew his mind, you know, the complexity of the polyphony. And he had to he had to work it out. And and he tells a story of he he went and he sold his amplifier and his electric guitar to buy a record player and the double album of the Brandenburg Concertos, the ones directed by Yehudi Menuhin. And and the line that always stays with me is he said it Looking back, it felt like he had to sell one culture to buy another and that he never wanted to have to do that again. And I think that, you know, whether it was in his educational work or his compositional work, so much of it was about trying to create spaces and experiences where all of those musical parts of himself, traditional, classical, popular, um, could all have space within that encounter. And that's what he did in that amazing academy. Now you're taking over. Actually, I think one of our listeners has just sent a text which sums it up. Like his predecessor, Sean O'Rea, the Michal O'Sula one, and of course, Sean taught Michal, brought not only genius, inspiration, academic vigour, brilliance in teaching and musicianship to traditional Irish music, but also broke down the artificial barriers between different genres and traditions to touch the very soul of music and to touch our souls. Look, to talk about these concerts um, that are coming up Tell me about them in September. Well, actually, Michal had started a, a relationship with the National Symphony Orchestra, which, which involved a trilogy of concerts. You know, he, he always loved working with orchestras, composing for orchestras, performing with them. He had a lifelong relationship, of course, with the Irish Chamber Orchestra, who are in residence at the University of Limerick. But he was particularly excited about the the challenge of working with that larger symphonic orchestra. And he had started started developing these new pieces for that and also reworking some of his older pieces. And the first two of those of those Imagine Three concerts took place in 2017 and 2018 they were you know there were sellout performances in the in the national 
concert hall. And after um, after Michal passed, the orchestra um, wanted to. He had started working on the third concert, and they wanted to reimagine that as a as a tribute concert to uh, a lot of what he had done in those later concerts. He had started writing himself out of his own compositions, which was something that 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 you know he hadn't done as much earlier, and so. This concert was was to bring together all of those pieces that he had that he had written beyond himself. And the concert, you know, like so many things went went dormant during the the COVID years. And the 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 fact that it's now been 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 brought back to life in 2022 in the same year when the University of Limerick is celebrating its 50th anniversary has meant that it'll be it'll be performed now both in the National Concert Hall and the University Concert Hall in Limerick in a sense both his musical and academic homes, which I think would be very meaningful to him. And those concerts, Helen, in the National Concert Hall here in Dublin are on September the 2nd and in the University Concert Hall in Limerick on September the 3rd. And tickets are available now from both venues' websites. We're actually going to go out listening today, Helen, to another piece of Michal's from his album Templum. It's Taurus Gutier Nanog, but thank you very much. Congrats on your appointment. Thank, thank you, you so much. much for coming in today. That's it from us for today. The programme was produced by the series producer Cora Ennis. Our broadcast coordinator was Taryn O'Sullivan. Liam Miller was on sound. Stay listening for Brendan and we'll be here at the same time next Sunday. Until then, Sloan.